You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Three, two, one... But I've worked it out. I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me. Hall of Famer, Jim Calhoun. Welcome NASCAR in, icon, Dale five. Earnhardt Jr. Kirk Herbstreit is on the phone. The podcast. It is Here America, the Air Force Sports Podcast. It is Friday, yeah. April 22nd, 2022, people. I hope everybody's doing well. I hope everybody's having a great day. And I'll tell you this. As I recorded Wednesday into Thursday of the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast, I thought, I might not have a lead topic for Friday. What could we possibly talk about? Oh, I don't know. How about Jay Wright's stunning, shocking, unbelievable retirement? I still, part of me doesn't believe that this really happened. We are going to have full reaction to that. From there, we'll talk about some of the big names that have decided to return or leave for college basketball, highlighted by Oscar Shibway. A lot of thoughts on Oscar Shibway, what it means for Kentucky, what it means for college basketball, the positive side of NIL as Oscar Shibway follows Armando Baycott's lead and decides to come back to college basketball for another year. And then I wrap the show with what is, I think, unquestionably one of the single most interesting recruiting stories, if you want to call it that, Shaden Sharp. Number one player, high school class of 2022, uh, decides to enroll early at Kentucky, convinces the Kentucky fan base that he's coming back, and then he declares for the draft. Weird, sketchy stuff coming out on Thursday about his high school transcript and about just a crazy story. You don't need to be a Kentucky fan to listen to this. I am telling you, one of the single most shocking stories that I can ever remember. I do a deep dive on it, and I, like I said, I, I just think it's one of the crazy stories I've done uh, I've talked about, and I think you guys and girls, if when you listen to it, you're going to be blown away. That said, let's get to the topic of the day. And the topic of the day, let me tell you this. There are things in life, you remember where you were when they happened. To our parents and our grandparents and whoever, maybe your great-grandparents, maybe you, I don't know how old all you guys and girls are, it was the moon landing, right? Everybody knows where they were when the moon landing, all this good stuff. There's been sports stories, political stories, deaths, all sorts of crazy stuff. You remember where you were when those things happened. Well, what I can say is that I will forever remember where I was on Wednesday, April 20th, 2021, 22, 22, it was 22, it was like two days ago. No, I wasn't having too many 420 celebrations, but where I was when I found out that Jay Wright who I believe is the best coach in college basketball or was as of three days ago before he retired, 
decides to step away. Jay Wright, two national championships for Final Four. Funny story. I'm in Vegas with my family. It's not one of the crazy boys Vegas trips. This is with my family. We're out to dinner. Chinese restaurant, very nice Chinese restaurant at the Orleans. Encourage you to check it out a little bit off the strip, but very good dinner. We're going to the Golden Knights game later. I'm with my mom, I'm with my stepdad, I'm with my wife, I'm with some other people. And I put my phone on silent, and I never put my phone on silent. But on this day, I was like, you know what, I'm with family. Have some respect for mom, have some respect for stepdad. We're here to eat some Chinese food. And so I'm eating, I'm eating, I'm eating. My stepdad looks at his phone. I'm not trying to look at my phone. I'm trying to be respectful of everybody at the table. And he goes, oh, yeah, by the way, puts his phone down about two minutes later. Oh, by the way, uh, Aaron, yeah, I think, uh, I think Jay Wright just retired. And I'm like, wait, what? I was like, no, 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 no. I was like, unless it happened in the last hour, there is no way that that is true. Sure enough, pick up my phone. Sure enough, have five, six missed text messages. Austin Montgomery, who writes for Aaron Torres Online, texted me. My old radio partner, Arnie Spanier, texted me. A couple listeners of this show either texted or DM'd me. And everything says Jay Wright retired. And I'm like, what the heck just happened? And, of course, my first fear is that, that it's something related to a scandal or there's a health situation. And so, obviously, I jump right in. And it's very clear that he's just getting older, burned out, tired, this and that. But, I mean, when, when I say that this Jay Wright decision is an all-time stunner, to me, it is just one of the most shocking stories that I can ever remember in major college sports pretty much forever, like, like since I've been doing this stuff. And here's why. Like, you go through some of these other ones that have happened through the years. I don't know that any, I don't think there's been any that is as shocking as this one, right? Roy Williams, 70 plus years old. He's getting older. He's kind of talked to, you know, publicly. He doesn't like the transfer stuff. He doesn't like this. He doesn't like that. When he decides to step away last April 1st, I wasn't really that surprised. Coach K, yeah, it was surprising, but the guy was 74 years old. At some point, he had to step away. You knew it was going to happen. We get the extra year. I enjoyed the Coach K retirement tour because of how it turned out with the Final Four and this and that. But the point is, Coach K, he was 74. Like, even kind of a contemporary younger guy that decided to step away, Bob Stoops. I mean, I remember where I was when Bob Stoops announced his retirement, and it sounded crazy at the time. But I also thought back to all these times where Bob Stoops had talked about the work-family balance, how he was the guy that always made sure that he brought his kids to school in the morning before he went into the office. And so even that one wasn't surprising. But Jay Wright, Jay Wright is an all-time stunner because of the fact that I truly believe that he was at the absolute peak of his powers. This wasn't a guy that was on the wrong side of his career. This wasn't a guy that had any scandal. This wasn't a guy that, um, you know, had any apparent obvious effects of burnout. This guy just made a Final Four three weeks ago, and now he is stepping away. And so with that, Jay Wright is out of college basketball, and I'm still in so many ways just absolutely shocked by this news because it's like I said, he was at the absolute peak of his powers, and I think now we'll start to reflect on everything throughout his career and what I would say is this, um, look, I believe he was the best coach in college basketball at the time of his retirement, but I think he also had one of the most fascinating careers really in the history, I, I think of college basketball, college sports, sports in general, because here's why. So he really burst on the scene at Villanova, really at about the time that I was at UConn. It's funny, Jay Wright came on this podcast in September. For those of you who are new, he was on in September, right around the lead up to his Hall of Fame induction. Uh, and he and I started reminiscing about the, the, the early to mid-2000s uh, Big East. I was at UConn. They had Rudy Gay, Josh Boone. He had Randy Foy, Kyle Lowry, guys like that. 
And his ascent was when I was a young whippersnapper over at UConn having a little too much fun drinking too much Keystone Light. But it was interesting because he, first of all, he's the guy that developed kind of, he's one of the first guys to really get into the pace and space stuff, played four guards out of necessity, really evolved into who he became. And by the way, I should mention, I plan on rerunning that interview with Jay Wright at some point. Maybe on Monday's show, we'll rerun that interview. But I bring it up because a fascinating career. Bursts on the scene, 2006, I'm at UConn, he's at Villanova. They're the two best teams in the country all year. Now, they both lose in the Elite Eight. UConn loses to George Mason. Villanova loses to Florida. But they emerge as a program on the rise. They got this young coach in his early 40s. We all know the Jay Wright persona, young, handsome, confident, whatever. But what people forget, there were a couple down years in there. There were a couple years where it looked like, I don't know if Jay Wright's going to survive this thing. Did this, did this guy have too much too soon? This is the part that everybody forgets. Go back to the early 2010s. 2011, he goes 21-12, and 12, tied for ninth in the Big East. 2011-2012, he goes 13-19, and 5-13, and 13, tied for 13th place in the Big East, 2012-2013, he goes 20-14, and 10-8, tied for 7th in the Big East. And then the next year is when things start rolling, 29-5. and five. And here's the crazy part. Since 2014, there have been, he has won 7 of the last 9 Big East regular season championships. And oh, by the way, uh, I'm looking right now, by the way, I think it's actually 8 of the last 10. I don't know, 7 of the last 9. Let's just call it 7 of the last 9. The two years that he didn't win the Big East... He made the Final Four. 2018, he wins the national championship, and this year he finishes in second, makes the Final Four. So that's how good this guy has been since 2014. But it's easy to forget, there were three or four years there where things were not going well, and to his credit, he completely revamped the program. At that time, in the early 2010s, for people who don't remember, he was kind of going, trying to recruit the most high-profile players, the best players he could get, guys that weren't really committed to the program, they were trying to be one and done, they were trying to be two and done, and the program completely falls apart. And at that point, he looks himself in the mirror and he says, this is not who I want to be. Saw Jeff Goodman put it out, he did an interview with him all the way back in 2013, 2014, he said, we got to get the culture back, we got to get the right guys in this program, and that's the most incredible part to me is you talk about a second act. So we're talking about he gets to Villanova in 2001-2002. And by 2009, he has made a Final Four, four Sweet 16s, and two Elite 8s. Then he completely falls off the map. Then he completely rebuilds it into the best program, I would argue, in college basketball. And so why, I don't think there's any other way to put it, why I am so sad to see that Jay Wright's going is because, one, he's at the absolute peak of his powers, maybe the best coach in college basketball. He was, in my opinion, the best coach prior to his retirement. But then two, and I think this is important, it's who he built Villanova into. It's the fact that I think he built Villanova into a completely unique program in, in and of itself, into a program where it wasn't about recruiting five stars. It wasn't recruiting about the best players. It was about recruiting fit it was about recruiting culture, and it was about recruiting players that wanted to be there and wanted to develop and wanted to do things his way. And I talked about this when they made the Final Four. I'm not saying that the Kentucky one-and-done way is wrong. I'm not saying that the Duke one-and-done way is wrong. I'm not saying that, um, you know, how anybody does it is wrong, frankly. Everybody's got their own model, and, and it's worked for other people. It's not it's like Jay Wright's the only guy that's had success. But it was so different because he literally, and we talked about this prior to the Final Four, he has literally turned recruits away, like really good recruits that ended up at really good schools. 
because they, they told him on, on a recruiting visit, I want to be a one and done. I want to be a two and done. And what he said is, that's not what we do here. Now, we'll put guys in the league after a year or two. Sadiq Bey went to the league after two years. Josh Hart went after a couple years. Dante DiVincenzo left early. Amari Spellman left early. On and on. But that's not how we do it here. You come here, you get better here, you learn here, and when it's time to go, you go. But we don't put a, 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 a label on you. We don't call you one and done. We don't call you two and done. We don't call you a four-year player. We let you develop at your own pace, get ready at your own pace, prepare at your own pace, and at some point when you're ready, you go, whether it's after four years, one, two, three, four, whatever. And so that's why I'm so sad because they were seemingly the one program that in this new world of college basketball, NIL, Transfer Portal, they were the one program that I don't want to say they were above it all because that makes it sound like the other way to do it is wrong, but they were old school and they did it their way and it wasn't just about five stars. And it wasn't just about rushing to the NBA. It was about doing it the Villanova way. Coming in, playing at your own pace, maturing at your own pace. Maybe you don't start. Maybe you don't come off the bat. Whatever it is. And so with Jay Wright leaving, I do believe like a part of college basketball kind of died on Wednesday. And that sounds sad and morbid, but I really believe it. And we'll talk about Kyle Neptune in a minute, the new head coach. He's going to try to keep that thing going, but there's no way he's going to be able to keep it going like Jay Wright, a Hall of Famer, did. Because he's not Jay Wright. He's not a Hall of Famer. He doesn't have the cachet with his current players that he's going to inherit, the ones that don't hit the transfer portal, recruits, young players, whatever. And so to me, it feels like a part of college basketball died. Because Villanova was the one place where kids didn't just transfer after one year. Kids didn't have, you know, kids didn't come in expecting to be one and done, and if it didn't work out, they bounced. They stayed, they got better, they developed, and if you watch Villanova, I mean, you know, it's just, to me, it was my favorite team to watch because the way they played, ball fakes, pump fakes, movement, passing, spacing. I tweeted out a video at the Final Four that went super viral. Everybody else goes to these Final Four open practices in front of the fans, and they're taking half-court shots and dunk contests. Villanova's working on pump fakes and dribble drive and jump stops. and There's just nobody else like them. And so for Jay Wright to be gone, the guy that built that, it's a sad day for college basketball, at least in my opinion, it really is. And I think it speaks to something else that absolutely needs to be addressed. I don't know that the transfer portal and NIL and the way college sports is changing is the sole reason that Jay Wright decided to leave. He was burned out. By the way, I didn't even mention, but he just basically said he's burned out. He's tired. He worked with Team USA, all that good stuff. He's been doing it forever. But you can't say that NIL on the transfer portal had nothing to do with it either. And it's really interesting, right? Because when I saw the news, that was my initial reaction. This is another example of a guy with options, and we're going to talk about this in a minute, that is deciding, I don't want to be a part of the current college sports landscape. And whenever I say that, people get mad. And what I will also say, for those of you like me who are forever going to love college sports, no matter what, no matter how many iterations there are, to be clear, this isn't the end of college basketball. It isn't the end of college football. The sports will still go on. When Alabama plays football, there's going to be 100,000 people in the stadium. Same with Ohio State. Same with Michigan. Same with Texas A&M. Kentucky basketball is always going to sell out Rupp Arena. Same with Indiana. Same with UCLA. Same with UConn. With whatever. I always say, as long as Duke basketball exists as a basketball program, and if they're going to pay the way that they pay, somebody's going to want to coach them. And it's the same with Ohio State football. It's the same with Michigan football. It's the same with UConn basketball. It's the same with Kentucky basketball. It's the same with Arkansas basketball. 
But at the same time, what I will also say is what I have been right about and what I have been adamant about for a year and a half, even before the one-time transfer and NIL came into place. I said, the guys with options, they're not going to stick around for 40 years like Coach K did. They're not going to stick around for 40 years like Roy Williams did. Jim Beheim, he's an entity unto himself because I just don't, I don't even think he cares about coaching anymore. He just wants something to do to pass the time. I, just don't think he, I think he's afraid to sit at home for too long. But the guys with options, they're going to look to, to something else. If they're young and they make their money and they can get out like Jay Wright at 60 and have 25, 30 years ahead of them, a lot of them are going to do it. I don't think it's going to be uncommon to see coaches in their 50s and 60s who have made their money say, you know what, I'm good. I don't want to deal with this. And it's the same with, by the way, it's not just college basketball, college football. Chris Peterson, the Washington coach, stepped aside in his mid-50s. Bob Stoops stepped aside in his mid-50s. Neither of them has seemed to have any interest to come back to college football. Bob Stoops is coaching in the USFL, I believe, or the XFL, one of the two. But in terms of college, if he was ever going to get hired, this felt like the year it was going to happen. Oklahoma opens up. Notre Dame opens up. Florida opens up. Those were like the three jobs that if Bob Stoops ever came back to college football, those were the ones he would take. All three opened in the same year, and he didn't take one of them. He didn't seem to have any interest in any of them. And so if you're a guy in your 50s and your 60s and you made your money, you're going to get out. The Coach K's are gone. The Roy Williams are gone. The Jim Calhoun's are gone. Nick Saban's are gone. I don't think we're going to see another Nick Saban. And then on top of that, I think we're going to see the guys that if they're younger and they want to keep going, I think they're going to look to the pros as a legitimate option. And I've been talking about this since day one. But in college sports, you got to deal with the transfer portal, which is essentially free agency not only every single year, but every single day of every single year, kid can enter the transfer portal any day of any year. He has two bad practices, he can leave. He gets word from another school that they're interested, he can leave. Now, he's not eligible right away, but he can leave anytime he wants. And so you're constantly re-recruiting your players. With NIL, I can tell you, it is a conversation already in every recruit that is, every recruit that is being recruited, that is a conversation. Now, it might not be the same at UMass as it is at you know, UConn, or it's not the same at, at, at Rhode Island as it is at Kentucky, but every single, uh, you know, we're going to talk about Shaden Sharp later, every single handler, every single AAU guy, every single basketball guy, every single seven-on-seven guy in football, they're asking, what are you going to do for us off the field? Forget your chemistry program, forget your biology program, what are you going to do for us off the field? I told this story a few days ago, I know of one very, very, very big college basketball coach, a guy that you would know. I know for a fact he was on a Zoom with some of his biggest boosters in the last month saying, if you guys don't get an NIL plan together, we're going to fall way behind and you want to compete for championships. It ain't going to happen here if you don't get your act together. And so why I bring it up, I tweeted that out. NIL and and, and name image likeness and, and the transfer portal are part of it. People went crazy. I can tell you for a fact. I had probably a dozen people across college sports. I had big time administrators reach out to me, say I was right. I had big-time head coaches, assistant coaches, assistant ADs, ADs reach out. Tell me, you're right, Torres. This cannot stay the way that it is. And I'm not saying by any stretch that NIL is bad for college sports and that the one-time transfer is bad for sports. I'm not saying that at all. We're going to talk about Oscar Sheepway in a minute. Oscar Sheepway is a great example of how great NIL can be in college sports. That guy came to Kentucky 
earned a spot on the floor, became an All-American, made money for the school. He should make as much money as he possibly can on campus. But when we now have bidding wars already for unproven high school players, when we have the transfer portal, nobody's against the transfer portal. But at the same time, in the, even in professional sports, there's no sport on the planet, there's no professional league on the planet where every single player is a free agent, not only every year, but every day of every year. And so if you think about you're somebody like Jay Wright, you're 60 years old. You've made more money than you can ever spend. You've won two championships. Your legacy is set. You're in the Hall of Fame. What are you coming back for? To recruit some 16-year-olds and their parents that are asking about NIL when they're averaging 11 points on their high school team? Then, oh, by the way, you've got to re-recruit your entire team. It's February, and there's a guy on the back of the bench that isn't playing as much as he wants. You've got to convince him why he should stay to play for you, Jay Wright, the two-time national champion. Yeah, I wouldn't want to put up with that crap either. I wouldn't, I wouldn't want to put up with that crap either. And so I do think that we are at a very, very precocious, like important moment in time. I said it with Mark Emmert two, three times over the last couple weeks. You don't have, have, you don't have to have answers to everything, but you have to have answers to something. And there's another time and place. I've already gone through how I would fix the transfer portal, how I would fix NIL. With the transfer portal, there should be two distinct windows. One around Christmas time after the first semester, one in the second semester after spring practice is done, after the college basketball season is done. But you can't have coaches on the clock three. And that's the other part with Jay Wright. People are, I don't feel bad for a guy making $4 million a year. What about his assistants that are making nothing? What about his ops guy? What about his video coordinator that's probably making $40,000 a year that's away from his wife in the middle of June because some transfer wants to take a visit and they gotta, he's got to put together a highlight tape for Jay Wright? I mean, wives and, 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 and families and kids, they understand you're going to be gone in November, December, January, February, March. But now all of a sudden you're in the office till 9, 10 o'clock at night in June and May because of the transfer portal, because of recruiting? Come on now. And so that's where the frustration is with college sports. It's a 365-day-a-year thing. And I'm telling you, I've heard of a lot of people who are deciding to step away or are thinking about stepping away or are thinking about other careers because they're just like, I can't do this anymore. I can't be away from my family 365 days a year, and that's the new norm. And so I don't mean to belabor the point, but it is an important point. And why would Jay Wright want to deal with this? And so I'm sad to see him go because I believe even four or five years ago, if the climate was a little bit different, maybe he'd consider staying. Now, my understanding is Villanova tried really hard to convince him, and I do think part of it was it was unfortunate because it was a weird year where not only did NIL come into place, not only did the one-time transfer come into place, but he also coached Team USA basketball last summer in the Olympics, late Olympics, late July, early August, whatever. He gets back, immediately goes into the Hall of Fame, then immediately has to start the season ahead. And maybe under different circumstances, maybe he considers staying for a little bit longer. But you can't sit here and tell me that NIL and, and, and all this other stuff didn't play a role in it. It's just sad to see somebody so talented, somebody so good for our sport, decide to step away when he has so many good years left. This guy could have kept it going for, at minimum, another six, seven, eight years, if not 10, if not 12, if not 15. I'm Jim, Jim, Coach, Coach K just made a Final Four at 74. Jay Wright couldn't have kept this going for 10 years, 60 years old? Come on now. Now, in terms of everything else, I'll just wrap with a couple other things. First of all, a lot of you have actually asked me, the new head coach, Kyle Neptune, I'll be real, I, I really don't know a ton about him. 
I will tell you, I knew somebody at Fordham this year, and he raved about Kyle Neptune. He had not come from the Villanova coaching tree, and he raved about Kyle Neptune, about how he had all, you know, a lot of the, the great characteristics from Villanova. Um, and to Fordham's credit, I mean, they really, really, really improved. 16 and 16 overall, I believe that was the high, they went, I think they went, they had a 14 win improvement, so they went two and whatever the year before. 16 wins this year, Kyle Neptune's first year as a head coach. And my buddy that was there was like, all that stuff that you see at Villanova, that's not by accident. They teach that. And I do think that that a lot of the principles and how things were run, it's going to be very similar to Jay Wright. And I think that's why Jay Wright wanted this guy. He had been a longtime assistant up until last season. One year as a head coach was actually pretty good. And the players on the current roster know him. A lot of the recruits were probably recruited by him at some point, And there should be some sense of continuity but man, it's just sad to see this guy go. We'll see about Kyle Neptune. Maybe there's another conversation down the road about that. Finally, let me just say this. I don't claim to you know, know any of, of these guys and girls in the sports that I cover. Some of them, you know, when I say no, like, oh, I know him. I'm going to vouch for him. Like, that's a great, like, that's a salt of the earth guy. Because we've learned through the years, a lot of scandals. There's a lot of, a lot of these guys that we think are great. Eh, they got some skeletons in their closet, just like we all do, myself included, you know, you included. Everybody listening has some sort of skeleton in their closet they're not proud of, things that they did in their past, things that whatever. So I don't claim to know any of these guys, but what I would say is this. One thing I want to get across, why I'm also sad, Jay Wright was also by all accounts, not just by all accounts, but my personal accounts, a really good guy. Twice I had a chance to interview him one-on-one. Once was in probably about 2015, 2016. All the Big East coaches rolled through L.A., Fox, because uh, Fox has the Big East package. You get them all in a room. You kind of go around the room. You ask them a couple different questions. You grab them one by one. They're available at different times. And I'm not going to name names, but some of, some of the guys were really nice. You know, some of the guys were really friendly. They're talking. They're, chir- chirp, they're chatting, whatever, because it's, it's, a, it's a loose, informal setting. There were also a couple that couldn't have been bothered to have talked to me, and I I was much younger, and I'm not saying I'm anybody important now, but I was certainly nobody back then. And out of all the guys in that room, all the coaches in the Big East, Jay Wright was up there about as nice as you could possibly, oh, where are you from? Oh, you went to UConn? What years were you there? Oh, I remember those teams. I remember these teams, this, that, the other thing. So you just talk about a nice, salt-of-the-earth guy. And then this past year, like I said, I had him on the podcast back in September, in the lead-up to his Hall of Fame induction. And like I said a minute ago, he had about a week before, between when he got back from Japan, and keep in mind, this was for the Team USA Olympics, when he got back from Japan, and not only the Olympics, but remember, those Olympics were crazy. Those were COVID Olympics, couldn't leave the room, couldn't do anything, and he was basically in isolation, from my understanding, for like 40 days, 45 days, where basically, if he wasn't at the gym at practice or a game, he was alone, away from his family, halfway across the world. And he talked about how exhausting it was, and, and, and you know, I, I, don't, I don't know what he said exactly. What we're going to do is we're going to replay that interview, but I know that it was very exhausting for him. And he comes back, and like I said, he's got about two or three days before the Hall of Fame, then he's immediately getting inducted into the Hall of Fame, then he immediately starts his season. And not only did he make time for the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast, but he was great. Answered all my questions. We laughed. We joked. We this. We that. And somebody asked me the other day, they go, is he as nice as he seems? And what I would say is this. Some of these guys are real nice. Some of them aren't. If this guy isn't as nice as he seems, he is the greatest faker in the world. 
because he was just so genuine and so sincere and so thoughtful in all of his answers and all of his time. And again, one, he didn't have to make time for me, certainly, but certainly didn't have to make time after 40 days in Japan, two or three days before the Hall of Fame induction. Guy was just incredible. And so I don't want that to be lost in this because there's bigger picture issues to talk about college basketball and the future of Villanova and the future of the Big East. I don't want it to get lost to this guy. Like, he's a really nice guy from every interaction. I'm not the only one that said that, by the way. Um, you know, I've talked to other people in the media who, has n- who have nothing but nice things to say about Jay Wright. But Jay Wright, 60 years old, decides that he wants to leave college basketball. Um, you know, the NIL stuff, I obviously just spent a ton of time talking about. And it was a big topic in college sports on Thursday and, and you know, Wednesday night. But I'll just tell you this, man. I'm just sad because when you have somebody at the height of their powers, I mean, it'd be like, you know, Patrick Mahomes or Joe Burrow just deciding in the peak of his career, you know, I'm just going to step away. I don't want to play anymore. It's like, what? That's where we were with Jay Wright. I believe he was the best coach in college basketball. Um, if I had a vote, best coach in college basketball, he would have been it. And I think it's a sad day, man. I think it's a sad day because, like I said, I do think that a part of college basketball died. And Villanova, look, they're going to be good. Kyle Neptune inherits a good situation. The Big East, by the way, is getting better with Shaheen Alloway, Sean Miller, and Thad Mata coming in. UConn, I like the roster that they've put together. We'll talk about some of their transfer stuff on Monday's show. But you just talk about, I'm just sad, man. I'm just sad that Jay Wright is gone. But Jay Wright's gone. Um, not, not, you know, He's still going to be around. But he obviously retires from coaching in the peak of his career. Not a good day for college sports. And just a sad day if you love it. But if he really just does want to spend more time with his family, if he really just does want to travel and do the things that he hasn't been able to do uh, throughout his early part of his life, then good for him, and I wish him nothing but the best. All right, this is what I want to do. I want to take a quick break. I do want to come back. I do want to do some of the positives of college hoops. Oscar Shibway coming back. Uh, some other big news and notes from throughout the last couple days uh, in college hoops. Who's coming back? Who's staying? Who's going? We're going to talk about all that next. I'll be right back. All right, everybody, I am back. Good to be back, good to be back. I do want to continue talking college hoops because I say it every episode, but April has all of a sudden become just a bananas crazy month in terms of college hoops and in terms of what happens in April and how it defines the coming year. And I said it a few days ago when Armando Baycott decided to return to North Carolina for all the talk about the transfers and the high school players and all this and all that. The NBA draft stay and go decisions by guys that are established college basketball players. Those are the big stories that really do impact college basketball more than any other going into next year. We could talk about the high school players. We could talk about this transfer, that transfer. Ultimately, the guys that were already someplace, that already established themselves, that were already good, that decide to bypass the NBA and come back for another year. Those are the guys that really do have impact more than anybody else in college hoops the following season. And so the, the deadline to declare for the draft, to at least put your name in to test the waters, that is April 24th. So that is this coming Sunday. Why is that important? It is because since I last recorded, we got a bunch of decisions in terms of who's going to uh, stay in college and who is also going to declare, who is going to declare and leave college basketball. We'll get to some of those in a minute, mostly names that you would expect. But there were a couple big names that decided, you know what, I'm not even testing the NBA draft waters. I'm not even thinking about going to co- going pro, I'm going, coming back to college. And there was no bigger name 
And then on Wednesday afternoon, announcement was supposed to come about 12.15 Eastern. It came a little closer to 1.15 Eastern. But Oscar Shibwe, the consensus, universal, no doubt about it, National Player of the Year swept every single National Player of the Year award. He goes on SportsCenter, as I said, about 1.15. And drumroll, please. What is he going to do? Is he going to stay? Is he going to go? He announces that he is going to return to Kentucky for another season of college basketball. And you talk about a story. There will be no bigger piece of college basketball news this year unless another coach retires, unless Bill Self or John Calipari or somebody besides Jay Wright retires, bigger than the decision by Oscar Shibway to return to college basketball for another year. The National Player of the Year, every single Player of the Year award is coming back to college basketball. And by the way, his speech was just about as great as it could be, talking about leaning on his mom. He talks to her multiple times a day. He put it in God's hands. I'm not a religious person. I, I'm not trying to get religious. But you just talk about a genuine, sweet, wholesome, impossible not to like kid. Oscar Shibway, the National Player of the Year, just announced he's coming back to Kentucky. And so why this is huge, like, it's huge for a bunch of different reasons, right? First of all, he was the National Player of the Year. He averaged 17 points and 14 rebounds and basically put up stats that none of us have ever seen in our lifetimes. I know there was like a guy in 1968 that did what he did in college basketball. And 1968's a metaphorical, could have been 72, could have been 74, whatever. But I mean, think about some of these stat lines that Oscar Shibway put up in college basketball over the, last co- uh, over the course of the last season. I'm looking at him now. How about 17 and 20 to open the season against Duke? How about 20 and 16 against Central Michigan? How about 14 and 20 against, uh, 14 and 28, excuse me, against Western Kentucky? 16 and 12 against North Carolina. 13 and 20 against Missouri. 29 and 17 against Georgia. These are like video game numbers when you're playing on the lowest level of the video game. That is what Oscar Sheeway did in college basketball this year. And so why it's important is because simply having Oscar Sheeway on your team There is no guy that you can get in the portal this time if you're Kentucky. And by the way, it goes for all of these guys that decide to stay or go. There's no one you can get in the portal at this time that you can replace Oscar Shibway with if he decides to go. You can't replace, just listen to some of those stat lines. 13 points, 20 rebounds, 14 points, 28 rebounds, 16 points, 12 rebounds, 17 points, 20. You cannot replace that, and that is why it's so important. And why it's also so important is because for Kentucky – At the very least, you know this. You got the National Player of the Year back, and to me, this is why it's important. Beyond the fanfare and all that, Kentucky, once again, will matter and will be in the conversation throughout next season. And what I would say is this. There was some other news out of Kentucky, Shaden Sharp, we're going to end the show with. I'm going to give you a lot of stuff on that. So it's not as though Kentucky's roster is finished. But what you do know is, when you have Oscar Shibway on your roster, to quote Kevin Garnett, anything's possible. Listen, if we're, if we're being honest about Kentucky, during the final few weeks of the season, they weren't very good. Ty Ty Washington was banged up. Kellen Grady, we later find out, is banged up. Severe Wheeler wasn't really the same over the second half of the year. But that was all overshadowed because Oscar Shibway was so good, and that is why he is so important because with Oscar Shibway on your roster, you will be relevant in college basketball. When you're Kentucky, you can't go into the year, especially if you're John Calipari, You cannot go into next year not being relevant, not mattering, not having a team 
good enough to ultimately cut down the nets at the Final Four. And I believe Oscar Shibwe's return alone allows you to do that. Obvious basketball reasons. One, when he averaged 15 rebounds per game like he did last year, it creates so many extra possessions, so many extra opportunities, so many fewer opportunities for the other team. It forces teams to game plan for him every single night. It allows you to have spacing for your three-point shooters. It allows pressure to be taken off of the other guys on the roster. Now, as it pertains to Kentucky's roster, there's a difference between being a team that's in the conversation and being a team that's up there with Kansas and and UCLA, we're going to talk about it in a minute, and Arkansas as a legitimate number one team in the country. And I do think in that regard, Kentucky has work. Like I said, Shaden Sharp, the, uh, the projected point guard for next year, it appears as though he's off to the NBA without playing a game of college basketball. So Kentucky's got to figure out what they do at the point guard position. Kentucky's got to figure out, is Severe Wheeler, the returnee from last year, is he the answer? Was a little turnover prone, a little bit just kind of a weird, you know, way he, he's, he's short, um, he's not super athletic, to put it delicately. Is he the answer? Uh, is there a player in the portal that you can go get that you believe is better? What is the answer of point guard? By the way, do you somehow get Shane Sharp back? So you got to figure out the point guard position. I still believe they need one more shooter slash perimeter scorer to go along with C.J. Frederick and go along with Kaysen Wallace, their freshman. But having Oscar back changes everything. Having Oscar back at the worst puts you in the conversation, and it might do so much more depending on what you surround him with. And for John Calipari, this was a must-have. Now, I've said, I've said publicly, I don't believe there's anything that John Calipari can do. I don't believe there's anything that John Calipari can do between now and the 2023 NCAA tournament to really win back the fan base. You don't finish 9-16 and 16 during the COVID year and then follow it up with the worst NCAA tournament loss in school history and win back the fan base automatically with Oscar Shibway coming back. But I do think this does take the heat off because if you lose him, and by the way, if Oscar Shibway wanted to go, nobody's going to blame him, National Player of the Year, but you lose him, you're going into next year with a lot of questions and not a lot of answers in a season when you have to have them. So you talk about just a PR win that John Calipari needed to have. This was it right here. Finally, last thought on Oscar Shibway. Listen, we just talked about the negative side of NIL with Jay Wright. And I do believe some sort of structure needs to be figured out. But Oscar Shibway is the best case scenario of everything that NIL should be and everything that NIL can be for college basketball and why I think it's so important that NIL is in place. And I talked about it with Armando Baycott, but I think Oscar Shibway is an even better example. And I know that he's got some stuff going on with, uh, you know, he's a foreign student, so there's still certain restrictions that we're not totally sure about. But Oscar Shibway was what NIL was created for. This was a guy that was an established college basketball player. NIL wasn't created for a five-star high school player that you're still paying under the table or you're signing him to a collective deal and you'll figure out how to do NIL once he gets to campus. NIL was designed for star players who have already established themselves in college, who have created revenue for their university as a way to get them a cut of the pie. And so why this is important is because Oscar Shibway, Armando Baycott, and maybe there'll be some other ones too. We'll talk about Jaime Jaquez in a minute. Uh, as I record here, there's still a few guys that are uncertain. But this was the positive of NIL, was that now all of a sudden, and I talked about it again last week, 
But all of these guys that are fringe NBA draft picks that you're not quite sure about, in the old days, even two, three, four years ago, it still wasn't much of a choice. For Oscar Sheboy, the choice was come back to college This, if, under the old rules three, four years ago. It was come back to college and make nothing or go pro and make something even if it's you know, not really how much you should be making if, as a second-round pick, undrafted, overseas, whatever. Well, now... Oscar Shibway can come back to college. It's no longer a decision of come back to college and make nothing or go pro and make something. In this case, Oscar Shibway is probably going to make as much, if not more, as a college basketball player in 2022-2023 than he will as a pro. And so we could talk about the negative of NIL, and there is negative. I'm not going to hide from it. But there is some positive, too, and I hope this is a sign for other great college players that don't have obvious NBA futures to really consider this option. Now look, if you're Paolo Bancaro, if you're Chet Holmgren, if you're Jaden Ivey, of course you're going to go pro. We're not talking about a difference between maybe a million dollars as a college player uh, and, and a, a $30 million or $20 million guaranteed as an NBA player. That's not what we're saying here. But for those second-tier players, all of a sudden you can potentially make more playing college basketball than you can as a professional. And I do hope that others follow Oscar Sheepway's path and say, you know what? It's okay. It's okay to be a college basketball player. It's cool to be a college basketball player. I love being on campus. I love being the big man on campus. And I hope more guys consider this. But Oscar Sheepway coming back, him and Armando Baycott early, the clear reflection of the changing landscape of college basketball, where all of a sudden, these guys can come back to college, make real money, and they don't have to decide between making nothing by coming back to college and instead make something, again, a positive side of NIL. Really quickly, let's rip through some of the other decisions over the last couple days. First of all, UCLA had two really, really interesting ones. So Johnny Juzang did ultimately declare for the NBA draft. Now, it's not very clear. He didn't definitively say that he is not leaving his eligibility open. But it seems as though he's not really leaving his eligibility open. He basically said goodbye to UCLA in his letter. Obviously, Johnny Juzang was the 2021 NCAA tournament star, declared last year, waited until the last possible second, comes back, and I, I don't want to say he had a disappointing season, but he didn't really capitalize on, on, on the success of the NCAA tournament, basically averaged the same stats, 16 points per game last year, 15.6 this year, three-point percentage was up a little bit, field goal percentage overall was down. What I would say is with Johnny Juzang, this ultimately is not surprising. This ultimately is not surprising. He went to Kentucky for a year, goes to UCLA for a year. I think he always envisioned himself as a two-and-done. So to get him back for a third year at UCLA, I don't think he even wanted to come back this year. I think he just sees himself as a professional. I think he wanted to go. Um, but it wasn't all bad news for UCLA, I should say. Because while Johnny Juzang, leading scorer, decided to declare, the leading rebounder and second-leading scorer, a kid named Jaime Jaquez, averaged 14.6 rebounds per game, announces that he is going to come back. And I know that UCLA is a little bit different. They've been a little bit slower to embrace NIL. They don't have all these collectives going, although they did really kind of start one on uh, Wednesday or Thursday of this week. But they're not, you know, Tennessee football. They're not Texas A&M football. They're not Texas football. So I don't know if NIL was really a huge deal. But Jaquez was one of those guys, second-round pick, um, but there's a few things. One, you know, it was going to be a potential second-round pick. There is money to be made, so he decides to return. 
But on top of that as well, there's a few other factors. Is one, uh, he's going to be a senior next year. I assume he's probably pretty close to a degree. His sister was a female McDonald's All-American. She's coming to UCLA, so cool for the parents. Congrats to the parents. Two UCLA Bruins, they're going to be on that campus a lot. But what I would also say in the big picture for UCLA, I just want to throw this out there. As weird as it sounds losing Johnny Juzang, I think there's a chance that they are just as good, potentially even better without him next year. So first of all, they are going to return... um, a bunch of other pieces. So first of all, Tiger Campbell, their longtime point guard. If you follow college basketball, it's the guy with the long hair. Uh, He will be back for what will be his, uh, I guess it would be third season playing. He lost a season to injury. Uh, Is that third season or fourth season? It would be his fourth season playing, fifth season overall in college basketball. He will be a redshirt junior uh, because he did lose a year to an injury. And then I think it's worth noting. Could get Jules Bernard back, a a player that has an extra year of eligibility. He is testing the waters. He's not going to be drafted, so it's just whether he wants to go pro or not. He just finished his senior year. Miles Johnson, big guy. But they also add, never forget, Amari Bailey, who I think might be the best high school player really available that is coming into college next year. Big 6'4 guard. You probably know him. Not going to you know, get into somebody's private life, but he is the kid. His mom dated Drake for a while. I don't know if there's still an item. I don't know if they're still going strong, those two lovebirds. He's a really good player. Like, he's a really good player. He's been a little bit off the radar. He's been banged up. I think, you know, probably it's not fun being the kid whose mom is dating Drake, but he's a really good player. And I do think with Johnny Juzang, listen, Johnny Juzang was a great college player, but he was high usage, right? He had to get his. You had to make sure that Johnny Juzang got his shots. Now it's a little bit more balanced. You're still bringing back potentially three to four starters off that team, but now it's probably a little bit better spacing, a little bit better ball movement, and Amari Bailey's a guy that can take over games at the college level, I believe. You guys know me. I don't overhype freshmen if I don't believe they're ready. I do think Amari Bailey is ready, and I am really excited to see UCLA next year. Uh, a couple other you know, draft decisions. We don't need to really get into too much of them because they were obvious. Kofi Coburn, big guy from Illinois, he officially declares. He has actually already tested the waters twice. By NBA rule, you test twice. The third time, you can't you can't test. You're in all the way. Kofi Coburn, I'm going to miss watching him, man. I mean, you just talk about an absolute monster. Um, you know, two-time All-Big Ten, two-time All-American. Um, we, I don't think we ended up doing Torres online All-Americans this year, but this guy would have been it. Um, 21 points per game, 11 rebounds per game. Now, he's another one. I don't know that he projects as a great NBA player. He's kind of a big, low-post, bulky guy. Doesn't shoot any, he didn't shoot any three-pointers this year. And he's going to have to defend in space, and I don't know what his future is. I think he's so talented and so skilled, uh, he's going to find a way. I thought it was very interesting in his kind of goodbye letter. He talked about knowing that he needs to get more athletic, knowing he needs to be in the best physical shape he can possibly be. So he gets it. He talked about, I think, you know, Valanchunas or somebody like these 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 backup you know, role players. He understands who he's going to have to be in the NBA, and I do think that's important as he goes into it. I'm just going to miss him, though, man. He made Illinois must-watch here over the last couple months or over the last couple years, and so Kofi Coburn is officially entering the NBA draft. Sorry to see him go, but really a guy that really you know three years at Illinois, regular season title in the Big Ten this year, postseason t- or uh, conference tournament title last year. Number one seed in 2021 NCAA tournament. This guy just really had nothing left to prove. And so I wish him nothing but the best going to the next level. 
And then finally, uh, Chet Holmgren. Obviously, Chet Holmgren, we all know uh, his deal, who he is, what he's about. Potential top three, top five pick. Honestly, the kid from Gonzaga, big, lanky, super long, rim protector, shot blocker, all that stuff. He officially declares that's not a surprise. Andrew Nemhard from Gonzaga officially declares that's not a surprise. But what I would also say is this. You start to look at, at Gonzaga's roster next year. Drew Timmy, who is testing the draft waters. No, he's not coming to Kentucky, by the way, for people who saw that craziness from the Kentucky fan base over the last few days. They just started this internet thing where Drew Timmy was transferring to Kentucky. He is not. Um, but you start to look at Gonzaga next year, I'll tell you this. They don't get Drew Timmy back. They are going to really, really, really struggle. Chet Holmgren is gone, as is Andrew Nemhart. All right, so what I want to do, I want to take a quick break. I do want to come back, and I do want to wrap with this Shaden Sharp story. If you do not follow College Hoops recruiting, Shaden Sharp, one of the craziest stories that I can ever remember in college basketball recruiting, Shaden Sharp, former number one player in the class of 2022, reclassified, enrolls at Kentucky. Now he may go pro without playing a single game. But here's the crazy part. There was some crazy stuff that came out about his transcript and about how he graduated and all that stuff. This is a recruiting story that you don't want to miss, don't need to be a Kentucky fan to enjoy or to appreciate. A Kentucky fan certainly didn't enjoy. I'll be right back. I'm back. Good to be back. Good to be back. Final segment of the show. Good to be back. Good to be back. And I do want to wrap with a little bit more college hoops because, listen, we just kind of ripped through all the players over the last couple of days that have decided to stay, that have decided to go. And obviously the big decision was Oscar Shibway electing to return to Kentucky. But I told you, I warned you, I said, stick around to the end of this show because it wasn't all good news at Kentucky this week. And that was certainly the case. That was certainly the case on Thursday as we finally got some closure or we I think we finally got some closure to one of the most fascinating stories that I can ever remember in high school basketball recruiting. Shaden Sharp, former number one high school player in America, commits to Kentucky, enrolls early at Kentucky. We're not sure. Is he eligible for the NBA draft? Is he not eligible for the NBA draft? He redshirts this season. Well, He's eligible, and on Thursday morning, he declared, and it appears as though he's going to leave Kentucky without having ever played a minute for Kentucky. But we got some crazy details, some crazy circumstances that absolutely had Big Blue, uh, you know, BBN just in a frenzy on Thursday morning, and I think it's completely justified. And what I will say is you do not need to be a Kentucky fan to listen to this, to appreciate it, and to just think about how crazy the story is that I'm about to tell you. It's all true. So let's get into it, and listen, I've told the Shaden Sharp story a hundred times, so I'll try to be quick in, in the lead-up to what happened on Thursday, but it's, it is fascinating, right? So Shaden Sharp, really kind of frankly an off-the-radar recruit at this time last year. I think he was like a top 100, top 80, something like that, but he was by no means a household name in recruiting circles. Last summer, the summer of 2021, we start to get back to normal. We have AAU tournaments, and this kid just absolutely blows up rises all the way to the number one spot in the country, the number one recruit in the country in the class of 2022. He ends up in September committing to Kentucky, and this was big, right? Kentucky, if you can go back to September, was coming off the worst season basically in the modern history of Kentucky basketball, if not the worst season ever in Kentucky basketball. And so this, that, that commitment kind of reestablished, okay, like Kentucky is back to being Kentucky. They're back to recruiting the players that they need to recruit 
to win at the level that they want to win. Well, what happens? Commits in September, about sometime, I think it was mid to late October, we get this announcement that he is going to reclassify and enroll at Kentucky for the spring semester with the plan according to those close to him. And this was on the record. This wasn't some sketchy. Like, like this was from people in his camp saying, we're going to Kentucky and we're going to train because we feel like he will get better practicing every day at Kentucky for this season. And then in 2022, 2023, he'll be better prepared to play college basketball and potentially be the number one pick in the 2023 NBA draft. And as soon as they announced, as soon as the family, the camp announced that Shaden Sharp was going to reclassify, you can go back to the archives. Because I remember talking about this in the middle of football season. I said, if I'm a Kentucky fan, I'm nervous because they are going to find a way to get this kid eligible for the 2022 NBA draft. And at the time, nobody in the media was saying it. Everybody was saying that he was going to be considered a high school graduate in 2022. And because of it, he wouldn't be eligible for the 2022 NBA draft. And for people who don't know kind of the the context of it, to be eligible for the draft, you have to be at least 19 years old and one year removed from high school basketball. Well, Shaden Sharp turns 19 years old in the year 2022. And so what I said even then was, you do not make this decision to enroll at Kentucky if you are not going to try to find a way to get into the 2022 draft. And everybody in the media, I had people crushing me in the media. I said, look, just, just use common sense. It doesn't make sense for him to come to Kentucky if he's not going to try to get eligible for the draft. So what happens in January? We find out that he's eligible to apply for the draft, which basically means that he's eligible for the draft, right? Everybody's got to submit the paperwork. If he's eligible to apply, the NBA is not saying no to him. This isn't Harvard we're talking about. Okay? This isn't Yale. We're, the NBA doesn't turn away people that are eligible to apply. And so from that point, it just became this fascinating kind of thing that John Calipari had to juggle of, this kid's enrolled on my campus. He's eligible for the NBA draft. If I play him, it could screw up everything team chemistry-wise. And if I don't play him, I could lose a potential top five, top ten pick without him ever playing a second of college basketball at Kentucky. Now, John Calipari ends up making the decision that I think was right at the time, and frankly, the decision, we'll get into it in a minute. I don't think he had any choice but to make. I don't think there was ever a scenario where the kid was playing this year. I don't think his camp, I don't think his advisors would have let him. But John Calipari never plays him. And what happens? St. Peter's happens. The offseason happens, and it's just a complete disaster because Kentucky, it's one thing if you make a Final Four and you have a top five pick on the bench. It's one thing if you win a national championship. It's one thing, heck, if you even win the SEC tournament and make the Elite Eight and lose to the one seed in your region. But when you don't win the SEC tournament, when you finish second in the league, when you lose in the first round to St. Peter's, and you had a top five pick on the bench, everybody went crazy. And, you know, with the Cal Perry thing, we'll get into Cal Perry's angle of it. I didn't really blame him because I don't think he had a choice to play the kid. But everybody's going crazy, but everybody's also holding out hope, holding out hope that maybe somehow he's either not eligible for the draft or he's just not going to enter the draft. And that's really been where Kentucky fans are at over the last couple weeks. They're waiting on Oscar Shibwe, but they're also waiting on Shaden Sharp. What is going to happen? Is he going to declare? Could he possibly be back? Wednesday night, we had a report that he wasn't eligible for the draft again. So Big Blue Madness, I'm at the Las Vegas Knights game in Vegas, and my phone's blowing up. DMs, Twitter, instant message, texts. 
Are you seeing the Shane Sharp report? Are you seeing the Shane Sharp report? And I'm in my head like, why would the NBA not allow him to, to apply? It doesn't even make sense. Again, the NBA is in Harvard. If you're 19 years old and you're one year removed from high school, they're going to let you in. And so finally on Thursday, we got the word that he is, in fact, eligible for the NBA draft. And he did, in fact, declare while leaving out the option of coming back for next season. With him declaring, I think he's officially gone. We'll get to that in a minute. But why I'm talking about this story again and why I'm making it an extended segment is for this. It's for the crazy details that came out on Thursday as it pertains to his NBA draft status. Because remember, for him to be eligible, he has to be one year removed from graduating high school. And so when he decided to reclassify, everyone kept saying, he's a 2022 kid, he's in the class of 2022, didn't graduate in 2021. Well, what do we find out on Thursday morning? ESPN uncovers some document apparently that shows that he graduated in May of 2021, miraculously making him eligible for the 2022 NBA draft because of course he's eligible because he graduated in 2021. And so I'm not accusing anybody of anything, but if we just do some mental math, there's some really sketchy stuff that appears to be going on, not accusing anyone of anything. But again, you gotta be 19 and one year removed. Up until Thursday, there didn't appear to be any real definitive proof that he had actually was one year removed from high school basketball. And then all of a sudden, a document shows up that says that he's graduated in May of 2021. Feels like something we could have seen a while ago. First of all, just the, the logic of it doesn't make sense. So he graduated in May of 2021, then goes, play, goes and plays AAU basketball as a member of the class of 2022. This is, again, under the logic that he actually graduated in May of 2021. But he goes and plays AAU basketball as a member of the class of 2022, commits as a member of the class of 2022, and then here's the catch. What did I tell you? He committed to Kentucky in September. He decided to reclassify in October, showed up at Kentucky in January. You know what that means? He went back to the same high school this year. So he graduated in May of 2021, according to this document that ESPN has. And I'm not criticizing ESPN. It's their job to report what they have as fact. But he graduated in May of 2021. Then he goes back to high school this year. It doesn't even make sense. I mean, even if it's a grad program, it doesn't make sense. And it especially doesn't make sense because of this. He is one of the most interesting, coveted, unique prospects in this potential NBA draft. You would think if we were trying to figure out if he was draft eligible, it wouldn't have taken us until April of 2022, the day before the NBA draft deadline to declare to find some kind of documentation that he actually was graduated in May of 2021. It doesn't even make sense. And so now you just have this fascinating conversation where I think Big Blue Nation is justifiably upset. This kid shows up on campus, enrolls on campus, works out with the team. Now he's not only going to leave, but he's going to leave. And I, again, I know he technically is leaving the option to return open. I just don't see it happening. But beyond that, there is the situation where he was, the, the fan base, I guess I would say, they feel like they were used in this whole situation because the people around him were saying all along, there's no way he's not even eligible. We're not even going to consider it. And then all of a sudden, this document shows up. This document shows up. In April of 2022, proving that he graduated in May of 2021, and it happens to show up right as the NBA draft deadline is approaching to get your name in the NBA draft, I can see where a Kentucky fan feels used 
And I could see where a Kentucky fan is like, wait a second, now something doesn't really add up here. Now, in terms of the big picture, let me say a couple things. One, Kentucky fans, one thing I will say, don't blame the kid. I've been around this stuff long enough to know that at the end of the day, he's 19 years old, and I know he's not a kid, he's an adult, he's going to the pros, whatever. There's a lot of people in his ear. There's a lot of adults making decisions for him, advising his family. I don't know who the primary person is. I know who the guy is that's been speaking on the family's behalf, but I don't know what agency's behind him. I don't know what whoever is behind him, but don't blame the kid. I don't think if it was up to him, it would have gone down this way. He was following the advice of adults that were making decisions for him. I will give Kentucky fans credit for this. I don't think most of them are in this case blaming John Calipari. Now, what I will say is I did a, a thing on Shaden Sharp on YouTube about maybe a month ago, no, three weeks ago, it was right after the season ended, when John Calipari did his final media availability. And I did say I didn't like how Calipari handled it publicly. Once it became clear that he could apply for the draft, I always thought Calipari, Calipari kept kind of sticking with the company line of he's going to lead us out of the tunnel in 2022-2023, and we're going to build the entire team around him in 2022-2023. And I do think from a, a PR perspective, Calipari handled it really poorly. And people said, well, if the family's saying that, what can you do? You, you, you'd call him a liar if you didn't. No. All you got to do is say, look, we have some new information that Shaden is eligible for the NBA draft. And what we're going to do is we're going to sit back. We're going to let him evaluate his situation at the end of the year like we do all of our players. All 13 guys on our roster every year, we talk about what's best for them. Is it best to return to Kentucky? Is it best to go pro? Is it best to go overseas? Is it best to transfer? That's what we do with every player. So that's all Cal Perry had to say. He didn't have to say he's definitively coming back. He's definitively leading us out of the tunnel. But you can frame it in a way where you're not putting yourself in a situation where you're, you're telling your fan base vocally that he is coming back. And so I understand the frustration of the fans there. But I also give the fans credit because I don't believe, I, I think they understand that Cal Perry in this case kind of got played. I don't know if he really got played, but he got backed into a corner. I think that's probably a better way to put it. He got put in a situation where there was no good thing for him to do. One, it's been widely reported. You know, I don't know if Jack Pilgrim from Kentucky Sports Radio, I don't know if he's the first one to say it, but I know he said it this whole time, is that Shaden Sharp's people, the adults surrounding him, basically told Kentucky when they decided to reclassify, hey, look, we're, coming to, we're going somewhere in January, and if it's not Kentucky, it's going to look really bad for you if it's somewhere else. So in other words, you don't really have a choice but to take us. We're not staying in high school basketball. You have to take us. And it kind of stinks, but Calipari was put in a no-win situation, right? Because if John Calipari says no, well, the kid could commit to another school. The commit kid could go to the G League. And then what happens there is you had the number one player committed and you lost him. But then two beyond that, what I would also say is once he got to campus, I don't believe this kid was ever playing. And there was this whole big public back and forth. We're waiting. We're seeing. We're this. We're that. He's practicing, but he's not ready. And to me, it was never about that. And I've said this in, in everything that I've done with Shane Sharp. I've talked about this. I said point blank. I was like, I don't think he's playing because I don't think the adults in his life, whether it is, again, an agent, uh, uh, AAU person, whatever, is going to let him. Because if he plays and he doesn't play well, all it's going to do is hurt his draft stock. So right now, number one high school recruit in the class of 2022, potential top 10 pick, he has nothing to gain by playing. And I don't believe that Calipari was, uh, that he was ever going to be allowed to play and I think Calipari had to take a lot of public bullets for his team. Now, people are like, why would Calipari do that? Well, it's pretty simple. The guy who's handling him, whether it, you know, it's an AAU coach, agent, whatever, that guy might have more players down the road. And you can't burn bridges with this guy by calling him a liar publicly or doing this or doing that. 
So I do blame Calipari for some of the PR stuff, but I do think he was put into an impossible situation. But the last thing I would say, I hope fans learn this, okay? Whether it's a Kentucky fan, a UCLA fan, anybody, if you recruit really good players, pay attention to this last lesson. When a high school coach or an AAU coach or a parent or a handler, if they tell you something, never take it at face value. This is not a criticism of the entire industry, but I've been doing this a long time. I sat in LeVar Ball's kitchen before anybody knew who LeVar Ball was, and I actually like LeVar. I think LeVar's actually one of the good ones, and I've talked about that on this show. Because LeVar will look you in the face and tell you exactly how it's going to go down. Yeah, my kid's going to UCLA for one year. We got a clothing brand ready to go, and we're going to rock out. And we're going to compete for a national championship. That's exactly what happened. But I've been doing this long enough where people will tell you whatever you want to hear in that moment to make you happy. And so, of course, it never made sense for Shaden Sharp's camp to say, yeah, we're going to try to sneak our way into the, into the NBA draft because that's what's best for us. Because one, if you do that, then everybody turns on you. But two, what happens if you're not good enough? What happens if you're not ready? What happens if the draft prospects aren't what you expect them to be? And so it always made sense for them to say publicly, yeah, you know, <laughs> trust me, we're, we're, you know, we're, we're committed to Kentucky forever. And it's like, yeah, until, that dollar bills, until the dollar bills show up. And so to me, that's the biggest piece of advice. If there's money to be made, just, just follow the money. It's the most basic principle in life, right? You've always, we've all heard that. Just follow the money. And that's all you had to do in this case. Once he decided to reclassify, there was never a scenario where it made sense for him to spend a year and a half at Kentucky when we're talking about a top five to top ten pick. No, he may have not been eligible that second, but he was 19 years old and they were always going to try and find a way. And guess what? The next prospect, whether it's a kid that's committed to Kentucky or, again, UCLA or Tennessee or Louisville or Memphis, if there's a way to fast track, if there's a way to skip steps to get to that money, they're always going to try to do that. (laughs) Do not be fooled. But I do feel bad for Kentucky fans. And I feel bad in some ways for this kid, and I know that's going to be unpopular on Kentucky social media. This kid had nothing to do with it. This was the adults in his life. But you talk about just a sketchy situation. How about that? How about, uh, yeah, w- w- you know, we, whatever. And then all of a sudden, a day before the draft deadline, a document shows up proving that he graduated high school in May of 2021. Never seen anything like it, people. Never seen anything like it. All right, it's time for me to get out of here. Before we get out of here, I want to remind you, please make sure that you are subscribed. Aaron Torres Sports Podcast, Apple, Spotify, Amazon Music, Google Music. Wherever you listen to podcasts, make sure that you are subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast Also, make sure to rate and review the show. Go ahead, give us a quick five stars. Let us know what you like, what you don't like, all that good stuff. Make sure you're following on social media, at Aaron underscore Torres on Twitter, at Aaron Torres Pod on Instagram, Aaron Torres Podcast Questions at gmail.com, Aaron Torres Podcast Questions at gmail.com. Do think Monday I will probably rerun that Jay Wright interview. Really fun, fun, fun interview. Really like Coach Wright, man. I really am bummed to see him go. Uh, but talk about a loaded show, man. We're, we're, this is April 22nd. We had a lot to talk about. So that's all for today's show. I'm going to get out of here. But shout out to Torrent Cray. Shout out to Rachel, who hates my voice. Shout out to my boy, JJ Reddick, F-Head. I'll be back on Monday, party people. Have a great weekend.
Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry. Sorry. We're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No. Lucky Land Casino. With cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.